Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. And welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm Mitch Michaels from our Tennis Channel Studios in Santa Monica as we have inside access to the players, coaches, analysts, legends that make the game what it is. An in-depth look at tennis like you've never heard before. And our guest today is a current player on the WTA Tour. It's Lauren Davis from Gates Mills, Ohio. Davis has been in the top 30 in the world, has won a title and is coming off of a couple events in Charleston where she had some big results, knocked off Sophia Kennan, a top five player. We get into Lauren's backstory, her rise in the tennis ranks from Ohio to moving down to Florida at the Everett Academy where she trained with players like Jen Brady and Madison Keys, what the process leaving home was like, adjusting to life on tour, her epic matches with some top players, including Simona Halep at the Australian Open and a victory over Angelique Kerber at Wimbledon, which she wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament. We discuss how she's maintained her mental and physical fitness, her interests off the court as well, and what makes Lauren go and and one of the more popular and exciting players the game has to offer. It's Lauren Davis on Tennis Channel Inside In. I'm Mitch Michaels. Let's start the show. All right, this week's guest on Tennis Channel Inside In is a 27-year-old who recently had her 10th anniversary of turning professional, over a decade. Time really does fly there. In 2017, (laughs) she won the ASB Classic in Auckland and reached a career high of number 27 in the world that same year. But more importantly, in 2012, Cleveland Magazine named her one of the most interesting people. Welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In, Lauren Davis. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Happy I, to be here. I had to bring up in, I had to bring up uh, that 2012 Cleveland Magazine Inside In. You know, I'm also from Cleveland as well, but it was <laughs> Joe Hayden, Ali LaForce, a few others, and Lauren Davis. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's such an honor to be recognized as that in, in the city of Cleveland. Cleveland is obviously my favorite city. It's my hometown, and yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> well, it's interesting for me too, because I'm, I'm from there, as I mentioned, um, and I remember being I would say about early into my college years. I'm, I'm a little older than you, but uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember being away at school and hearing a lot of buzz in the area that this little 15 year old girl from Gates Mills <laughs> was on a tear, going undefeated uh, as the Division II state champion uh, in tennis. And uh, here I am talking to her now, years later. That decision to play high school tennis, which a lot of players might not have uh, decided to do, you were late to the sport. I think nine when you started playing, but. What was mm-hmm. that journey like? And then ultimately, just a Cinderella year by all accounts where you go to Columbus and only drop four games and route to an undefeated season. Oh, I only dropped four games in states? In states, yeah. Oh, my gosh. See? Go little Lauren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, high school tennis for me, I played freshman year. Um, it was a good decision because it was, it was the team camaraderie and being a part of a team that, that was different for me. And it was so much fun. Like, I remember playing high school matches at Gilmore and like all my friends would come out and just like support me. And it was really fun to be a part of, to have, um, to have my school and and the city of Cleveland backing me like that. But yeah, the next year I ended up moving to Florida and said bye to Cleveland as sad as that was, but I don't regret it for anything. 
I did speak a little little uh, abruptly. It was five games in four matches, so just don't want to take five away games. from in four okay. matches in the state tournament. So you did lose <laughs> okay, one extra still- game. That's, that's uh-huh. acceptable, okay. I guess, but no. Uh, <laughs> so that that decision, I mean, I mentioned you played at age nine, and I think it was, if I have this right, a friend of your mom's who kind of pushed you in that direction. You were a competitive kid. Suddenly you become successful on, a, on, a, on an all-another level. You decide to go to Florida, and we always hear these stories about the Everett Academy. I talked to Jen Brady a couple months ago, and she mentioned you, Madison Keys, Sloan Stevens. How just how mm-hmm. competitive was that down there? And if you could pull back the curtain, what was it like to be in a tr- tennis training ground where suddenly it's the main focus? Yeah, um, being at Everett was so much fun. I lived in the dorms, had like three roommates, and so even though it was so tennis focused, like there was still so much of a balance for me because. I was surrounded by all my friends and I, I still went to like prom, you know, so with the school, with someone from the school across the street. So that was a lot of fun. But yeah, being a part of that community and that environment was, was, was good because it, we each challenged each other and pushed each other. Um, we were all around the same level. Um, and so that's something that I didn't have in Cleveland, which was really important and just really important for the development of my career. And that played a huge part in my decision to to turn pro it's pretty crazy not just how competitive it was but the fact that most of you have stayed friends and a lot of you have made mm-hmm. it on a level of making a living as a touring professional I, I don't think that that's common even at a place even at a place like the Everett Academy your generation just for whatever reason was able to keep it going and, and all most of all be successful yeah it's pretty cool um yeah, Jen Brady obviously went to college, and so that right there is is absolutely incredible that yeah. she's top twenty now. Um, she shot up super fast and has stayed the same person through it all, and she's just a really cool person. But yeah, Tracy Capper was there as well, Annie Muholland, and I think they ended up going to college and then not turning pro after. But um, they were really good juniors, and yeah, it was a super fun environment to be a part of, and I still keep in touch with all of them. When did you make that decision that pro was the option? Because I don't think for, in your case, based on what I've read, that it was always the plan, like, I'm going to go pro. You had a super successful junior career, but when did you start to make that decision and ultimately think this is the better path for me? Yeah, so when I was um, 17, so I I guess about a year, year and a half after I moved to Florida, um, I went on this tear in the the juniors and some challengers and won like 30-something matches in a row. And um, Orange Bowl and Eddie Herr and the Australian Open Wild Card. And so I just, um, I came away from those experiences, like just with the conviction and the desire, like thinking to myself, this is really what I, what I want to do with my life, with my career. And yeah, I'd always been planning on going to college. I, I guess I didn't think too far ahead, but yeah, after I won Orange Bowl, I, I made the decision and that was when I was 17. So I think the quote you have is it was like going to the adult world. A lot of ways it's like going to college by yourself. You you suddenly are thrust in this environment where you don't know anybody with more pressure on because now you're a professional and you have to make a living. How tough was that more mentally maybe than the professional side of things? It was really difficult. Um, I would say I really struggled first probably four or five, probably four years of after having turned pro with like making friends. Cause it was, it was difficult. Cause like you're competing against these girls and this is our livelihood and, and stuff. And so it was a very different vibe that I got from being on tour, um, being young and, and kind of a newbie. Um, I, I luckily at the time had a, had a coach who I was close to. And I, 
I still think that's incredibly important to have like a, a coach you're close to, but also like a good friend. And, and so, yeah, I also struggled with losing so much all the time because in juniors, I, I, I won a lot more than I did in the beginning of my, my pro career. So it was definitely a learning experience of like learning how to manage the highs and the lows and not get so discouraged. And that took me quite a few years. <laughs> well, that, that, that's so true though, because it happens in tennis more than any other sport. You get all these players, high level juniors like yourself, college, all Americans, national champions. And then you know, only one person can win a tournament at each event. So you have to get yeah. used to losing. And at first, being okay with, not okay with, but just understanding that there's a process and it's a long road. And you know, in your case, mm -hmm. managing that, and I know you talk about men mental fitness and, and whatnot, and I actually remember you playing at Charleston this past uh, week, two weeks ago, where it, was, it seemed like there was a lot of meditation going on in between points, in between sets, and uh, <laughs> the Kovinich match, you took a rough first set, but it was a steady breathing, and then all of a sudden you turn it around. So I can tell watching you that, mental fitness mm -hmm. and mental health is important out there. It definitely is. Um, I guess what you mean by like meditating, I guess I, um, close your I eyes try on the change over. Yes. Like, not I the try only and get one, like but, yeah. present and cause there's so many different emotions going through your body and like so many different thoughts. And then like you have the outside environment to pay attention to. So like I, I try and like quiet myself, quiet my mind and just like block out distractions and yeah, because it's definitely pretty stressful out there. So you got to have something to do on the, <laughs> on the yeah. changeovers. But um, but yeah, I I was having a little bit of trouble during that match. Like I, I changed my game plan in the second set, and you just kind of got to get creative out there, you know, and and change your game plan if need be, and um, and stay persistent and tenacious. And that's something that's been really uh, really powerful for me in my game. Well, just so you know, I mean, I don't think you, we need to tell you this, but at Tennis Channel, the cameras are always rolling. So we'll catch if your eyes are shut on the changeover. Uh-oh. So just, I don't okay. have to tell you. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to get to more with the current events and, and your career in a second. But you mentioned your style of play and, um, you know, making up for the lack of, you know, height and, and being that aggressive player that takes away time and space. Was that always your game or was that something that you adapted to on the pro level when the competition got bigger, stronger and, and more intense? Yeah, that was something that I definitely kind of grew into. I was I didn't play like I do now when I was in my early 20s even. Yeah, I would say a coach I had at USTA kind of um, changed my game style in the sense like using my speed to my advantage to take time away, to take the ball early and make the court smaller uh, for my opponent and, and um, yeah, just make it more difficult for her. And that was definitely a game changer for me. Super effective, um, very compatible with, with my stature. Um, and yeah. <laughs> Just had to uh, adapt. And, and I understand that um, it's tough to play, especially with the newer generation. It seems like they're just getting bigger and stronger. Yeah. Um, but that fighting aspect of it, I mean, everybody says from what I've can take in that they want to be in the thick of it, that they want to battle, but you know, it's tough when you're down a set, when you're down a set and a break to keep in it, keep engaged physically. When you're playing these matches, specifically, you know, recently, like Kennan, that went, Coco Goff, uh, the Kovinich match, which I mentioned, how do you keep your eye on the next point versus looking at the scoreboard and maybe, you know, mentally, maybe checking out like some players would to the next event? Yeah. Um, so actually for both of those matches, like I said, like I had to change my game plan and when I played Kenan, I was kind of just playing her game 
um, hitting everything hard and flat. And, and then I, I kind of realized that she didn't like heavy high balls, <laughs> which <laughs> like takes me back to like 12 <laughs> juniors. But honestly, yeah. like I'll find a way to win, you know, if I need yeah. to. So, so that's what I did. And points were super long. And, and so, yeah, like I said, just like learning to get really creative and, um, to try and th- think out there because I feel like at this level, like the gap between those who are top, like top hundred and top 20, it's like so small. So if you can just like try and get under their skin and find what they don't like, like, um, I think that's very effective. And also just staying centered within yourself and doing a good job of like managing your emotions, not wasting energy on, on other things. And yeah, just staying, playing within yourself. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Maura Thorne Davis here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Um, your career development, Warren, you started to progress up the ranks, and like a lot of players, ran into some obstacles. There were injuries. There were setbacks. A couple years ago, it was publicly noted that you took a six-week sabbatical and, and thought about maybe walking away or just taking an extended break. What was going through your thought process then, and how did you come back to peace with playing tennis and uh, you know, obviously succeeding a year later, getting to your highest ranking ever? Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because, like, I feel like I'm a totally different person now. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that was like a maybe four, three years ago or whatever, whenever it was. But at the time, I was so burnt out. I didn't have much of a balance um, between, like, tennis and, and other things, other hobbies that I had in my life. And, yeah, I just – I was training, like, four hours a day, doing way too much fitness, and I was just sick of it, you know? And so – I didn't feel like I had much of a say in my career either. And so, um, and so after that year I made some big changes and like maybe got a new coach or starting making more personal empowering decisions, like of what I actually wanted to do and how I wanted to play and, and the tournaments that I wanted to play. Um, but yeah, now like I've never enjoyed or loved tennis more than I do now. Um, I enjoy the competition and the grit of it all. And, um, the travel is definitely difficult, but once you get there, it's fine. And winning tournaments and winning matches, it, it definitely makes it all worth it. So it's just, it's funny to look back and think that that's where I was back then. Growing as a person, I mean, I, I totally get that, especially someone like yourself that had already been five, six years in the game. And, and suddenly it's, you know, the years adding up, the practices adding up. You mentioned travel. Yeah. You mentioned travel, and I know now is a different time, and we're starting to kind of get back to normal. But do you have uh, certain do's and don'ts, or like a pet peeve of travel that you just that gets on your uh, something that gets on your nerves with what you have to deal <laughs> with the life as a pro tennis player? Um. Hmm. Honestly, like I don't like. I'm not a fan of flying. So flying <laughs> in general that's is a like tough one a pet for peeve for me. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like really don't like flying, but I basically do it for a living. Um, but, but yeah, it's fine. It takes me, obviously takes me away from home. And, um, I mean, it's given me good clarity as to what I want after tennis. Like I want stability and I want a family and I really don't want to travel at all. So, um, 
so it's it's definitely given me some clarity in that sense but um but I know that I only have probably five, six more years to play or however however long I want to play. And so I'm just going to make the most of it, suck it up and get on that plane. So <laughs> I, would think, I would think packing would be one too, you know, the constant. Oh my gosh, packing. packing. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I basically live out of my suitcase. Like I haven't unpacked my suitcase from Mexico, which was like over a month ago. So that, a while ago. that goes oh, to show. I want to do some laundry at some point. Well, I did laundry, luckily, but (laughs) I have like three different suitcases that I, that I take with me. So like I switch them out, you know, crazy. The, uh, (laughs) that is pretty crazy. The, the 2021 season that started, I mean, obviously there's setbacks with what's, what went on in Australia and just constant bubbles. And, and obviously Charleston was nice because there was two events and you were able to settle in a little bit, but what's that experience been like playing tennis in these bubbles, in this environment where you're not really given the freedom that you normally would have. Yeah, I have actually found that to be so incredibly difficult. Um, yeah, the I was a part of the hard quarantine in, in Melbourne, so we weren't able to leave our hotel rooms or even like there was no windows to open either for two straight weeks. So that was really, really tough and not the best way to start the year out, but tried to make the most of it was got some things done during that time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really hard with these bubbles. Like we have all of this stress of, of competing and then now having to defend points and now we don't really have an outlet, you know, like I used, I, I really, really enjoy walking around the city, sightseeing, going to different restaurants, trying different food and like, and just doing this with my friends and stuff and not, not to have this outlet has been, uh, it's really kind of taken a toll on me. So, and a lot of other players as I've spoken to, but it's definitely really, really tough. I can only imagine, especially 14 days where you're not really given, you know, sunlight in a way, um, just again, yeah. demonstrating the mental fortitude that pro athletes and pro tennis players have to have. Uh, I would also imagine a challenge being that you're open about being gluten-free, being very into fitness and your, and your nutrition. Mm-hmm. That can't be, yeah. that can't be easy in general, let alone during a pandemic when you're in a bubble and can't really mm-hmm. <laughs> go out and shop for yourself. Yeah, so it actually used to be a lot harder than it is now. Places have come a long way in the past, I guess, 10 years. Um, even in Europe, I don't have too much trouble. Uh, France is, is is really tough. They don't have like hardly any gluten-free options. But Italy is just like so on it with the gluten-free stuff. And the stuff tastes so good too. So um, I definitely gained a couple pounds when I go there. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but in the States, yeah. it's, it's very... Um, very easy to to abide by being gluten free. So, is that something you made on your own? Because I, you know, I did some research here, and I and I got your dad's did story your as well. And, uh, <laughs> you know, your dad's kind of been leading the, leading the uh, crusade against like bad diet habits and whatnot mm-hmm. too. And was that something you made on your own? And have you noticed a difference on the court as you play and as you feel a little better? Yeah. So, um, I did. I was like influenced by my dad to kind of pick up this lifestyle. He had been kind of not badgering me, but like definitely telling me to follow this for years and I wasn't listening. And then I did finally try it for myself and I feel a lot, a lot better when I eat, when I eat wheat or gluten, I feel, um, I get headaches and I get some bloating and stuff. And so just these little things make a big difference for me. So yeah, this is something that I'll live by probably for the rest of my life. And I don't, I don't find it like restricting at all with all the options they have out there now. So, Well, I came across the info that your dad 
kind of ghost wrote the book for Novak Djokovic about his lifestyle and, and health with yeah. that. Now that's probably like the most extreme case of a diet and following it. So right, I right. I think that might be tough, but I think you're on mm-hmm. the right track with uh, your plan there. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't have any sort of um, allergy to gluten or wheat or whatever, but I, I have somewhat of an intolerance. Okay. I'm sure I get that from my dad. So, <laughs> Warren, as we kind of look back at, at your career and some of the moments that have defined you, uh, a lot of people will circle on that Australian Open match against Simona Halep in 2018. 15 yeah. 13 in the third set, which there's no real blueprint for how to even train for a match like that because where other than a Grand Slam <laughs> is that going to happen? But when you're mm-hmm. in the moment, when you're deep into the third set and the conditions are muggy, body's starting to break down, toenails start to fall off. What are you what are you thinking in that moment? Are you appreciating it that you're in a stage this big and playing great tennis against a world number one? Or are you able to not just fully comprehend the moment at hand? Yeah, so it's funny because um I think that was actually around the time when I took some time off from tennis, uh, shortly after that match. But I really, I really thoroughly enjoyed playing that match. Like obviously on Rod Laver playing against the world number one at the time. And I remember walking in the third set, like to my towel and just smiling to myself. Cause I'm like, I really enjoy this. Um, but I was so like in the moment, I wasn't exactly aware of like what a big and impact that would have, like that match would have on people. I got like thousands of messages afterward saying something like, Oh, I never, thought I'd be interested in tennis, but I watched this match and now I'm just a huge fan of yours. And, and, um, and like receiving messages like that are what have really kept me going when I've wanted to give up in tennis. So, um, so yeah, hopefully I have a lot more matches like that. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a case for a lot of people, especially in the Cleveland mm-hmm. area that were just like, Aww, this local girl so nice. is, is making mm-hmm. a play here. Um, the result mm-hmm. didn't go your way. Halep is a tremendous uh, player, obviously one majors, no shame in losing to her, but after the moment, after the match ended, were you let down? Did, were you able to see the positives and what had just happened? How was your mind state mindset after the match? Yeah, shortly after, I was I was definitely disappointed. But after talking to my coach and kind of reflecting on on the match itself and reading all those messages, like I was really proud and happy and um, had a lot a lot of positives to take away from the match. So yeah, it was really all good things. You know, looking at that and looking at that, at that <clears throat> opportunity, I can't help but look at the next year's Wimbledon, 2019, where, talk about the extremes, right? You lose in qualifying, you think you're not going to make the tournament, suddenly a spot opens up, you're playing the defending champion, Angelique Kerber, and then unbeknownst to many, you beat her and mm-hmm. have to go into the whirlwind. I just can't imagine a sport, another sport, where you go from not even thinking you're going to be in the event to get ready to yeah. playing a former champion and how were you able to adapt to get ready to play and then ultimately bring your best game onto the court? Yeah, that's the beauty of tennis. Um, at times it feels very unforgiving, but in reality, it's a very forgiving sport. There's n- another point, another set, another tournament, you know? So, but yeah, I lost last round of qualities and honestly, like my intuition, I, I really believe that I would, get in as lucky loser. Um, I remember feeling that like firmly. Um, and so I wasn't too surprised when I got in. So, but yeah, I was super excited. My coach and I were really, really happy and, um, got a couple really good matches under my belt and one of, one of the best wins of my career. 
imagine the lucky loser process. Like <laughs> I would imagine it'd be like, you're waiting around, you might be outside the, the training area. Like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe this person's going to drop out or yeah. I don't know if you're getting to the point of like approaching players and being like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't play this tournament. I think, I think you should rest up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did say I wasn't too surprised, but honestly, looking back, I was kind of stressed. Um, I lost that day, but then actually that evening I found out that I got lucky loser. So it wasn't like I didn't have to wait a long time, luckily. Otherwise, I would have been stressing. Um, but yeah. <laughs> getting back to that level and getting back to those moments where you play Halep at Rod Laver, packed house, people are cheering for you, you beat Kerber at Wimbledon. How much does it mean to you to try to get back to that level and, and you know the willingness to, to put the time in away from the matches, away from the public eye? Yeah, that's the that's definitely the goal um, to play on center courts and to play top players consistently. That's definitely what I'm working towards and what I'm trying to, I guess, embody in, in my game and in the way I carry myself, the way I hold myself. But yeah, I feel like I feel like I'll, a lot of it is mental. And so it's just a matter of, yeah, kind of just stepping into that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Still chatting with Lauren Davis on Tennis Channel Inside and um, more more to discuss with you, Lauren. And I keep coming back to that fighting spirit and you know the ability to battle out there and to to play well and play tough when your best game isn't there. Where does that come from for you? Is that something ingrained in you? Do you look at inspiration at other players, your parents, your family? Where does that fighting spirit come from? Yeah, um, I've been a fighter ever since I was young. <laughs> Um, my brother and I are two years apart and we used to fight all the time and I used to beat him up at times. And so that probably helped like in the development. Um, but yeah, I, I've always fought for and scraped, scraped and, and fought for everything that I have. Yeah. I know that anything good and worthwhile takes, takes hard work. And yeah, when I played soccer, when I was young, I was a fighter and always fought for the ball and, yeah, my, I would say my grandma is, is definitely a fighter as well. Like she's got that feisty spirit. Okay. And there so I think I probably picked some of that up from her as well. <laughs> well definitely not one to back down from confrontation, though luckily tennis, there's not going to be <laughs> as many confrontations as some of the others. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Except when you have a ball at the top of the net. That's and true. you're not sure whether to go to the side or peg her or what. <laughs> that sibling rivalry, I think it breeds a lot of just great level athletes uh, as well. as I think know, so too. Yeah. You, you didn't mention, you know, being from Northeast Ohio as well. I'm sure that it comes from there as well. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> some other moments of your career I wanted to mention. Um, you've gotten the chance, the opportunity to play in several Fed Cup ties. What's that experience been like? I mean, not just playing with players in your era, but you've got to play with the Williams sisters <laughs> among others and just a lot of a lot of legendary players that uh, you've been able to play alongside and be teammates with. What have those Fed Cup experiences been like? Yeah, Fed Cup is one of my favorite things to do because it's just so different. We're part of a team and having the team camaraderie and getting to know um, maybe some of your fellow Americans that you wouldn't have really known before. So 
yeah, having played with Serena and Venus was definitely super cool. Um, I assume they would be retiring fairly soon, so I, I probably won't wouldn't get that opportunity again. But you never know. I'm not going to say that. Okay. But but yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah, it was really exciting, and they're really cool, good people. And so just to get to to know them behind the scenes was was a great experience for me. That's good to hear uh, that they are good people. Um, and I should also yeah. I should also inquire. It's been a couple years now, but have you recovered from the clip of you almost choking on a wasabi pea? Oh my god, I forgot about that. Oh my gosh, yes, I still I recovered, but I do not eat wasabi peas anymore. Okay, that was it. Yeah, it was a big point. I forgot point. about that video. That was yeah. hilarious. It was a big point, a big moment, and uh, suddenly there's a player yeah. on the Fed Cup team choking. So. Uh, <laughs> too funny Everything. stop the match call yeah. the ambulance <laughs> we thought we, we thought we were gonna have to we thought that was gonna be the end of the Fed cup uh, in general, <laughs> just as a tournament but no uh it, it's good to it's good to know that you've had fun doing that and uh you know speaking of having fun you're kind of active on social media and uh, one of the first things that jumps out at me is you have a lot of photos on there of you and tall people <laughs> so there's a I lot do. of photos with you and you know opelka kevin anderson just a lot of tall people. John Isner. So John Isner. So uh, is that the strategy? Is that the marketing plan? Just, I know you brand yourself as fun size, but is that the plan to always <laughs> put yourself out there with just abnormally large people? Yeah, I think it's so funny. Like I get, I get a kick out of it because like they're some of the tall, tallest players on the men's tour and I'm one of the shortest on the women's tour. So yeah, the gap is just insane. And honestly, I'd love to play doubles with one of them someday. I was, I was going to ask Riley to see if he wanted to play at US Open last year, but um, I was told that he doesn't really play much doubles. So I was like, dang it. Um, maybe I'll ask John or something next year. We'll see. <laughs> we need it just for, you know, you guys doing well and then the trophy ceremony. Cause that's what we need. Yes. For, just the trophy yes. picture. Cause I that would be how, amazing. I don't know how we would do that. I don't know if it would fit into the broadcast standards or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that photo would go viral for sure. <laughs> you've also, I don't know if it's the Florida in you or just the personality, but you've kind of embrace the beach life. I know it's surfing. It's a lot of water sports and water activities. Has that always been a passion of yours or did you just fall in love with it when you moved to Florida? Yeah, I definitely have fallen in love with it. Um, when I actually not even when I moved here, just probably about three years ago, um, I actually live across from the beach, which is super, super nice. Um, so I just walk over there every day and, um, yeah, walk the beach and I love to paddleboard. I used to love to surf. I haven't surfed in about a year, but I got to get out there again. Um, but yeah, I love to do anything outdoors, get some fresh air and really good, not only physically to like do fitness on the beach, but also mentally being outdoors. And yeah, so I really enjoy it. It's a good hobby to have. It, it promotes activity. <laughs> I know, I think piano was another hobby of yours as well. If I have that right, do you still play? Are, oh. you, are you a classic? Uh, <laughs> oh, piano? Yeah. Um, so I played when I was a kid and I attempted to take it back up probably about four years ago but it lasted only about six months because obviously with the travel, it was really difficult. And like, by the time I would come back, I would forget what I learned from before. So I, I think that I'll save that for after my career. It's probably smart. It takes a little, it takes a lot of work <laughs> and it might be tough to just yeah. sit down and, and play. <laughs> uh, a couple more things, Lauren, before we wrap this up, you mentioned some changes in your professional life and your career. What value has working with your coach, Eddie Elliott made to your game on the court and, and, how tactically has he improved the way you play and uh, the way you try to attack the other opponent out there? Yeah, he's brought brought a ton of value to my career. Um, we're we're very close friends as well, and so having that that aspect of it for me, that support, that encouragement, 
is just is just huge and um having someone on the sidelines who you know is like genuinely for you because obviously a lot of people aren't like your opponent and their coaches and whatever so having that is super important um yeah he's taught me to to really just allow my light to shine in the sense that I'm, I'm very athletic. So to just allow like my athleticism to take over um, rather than allow like my analytical mind to kind of get involved, but just to allow like my, my senses and stuff to kick in. And um, cause I found that's, that's definitely where I, I'm at my best. <clears throat> well, it's also interesting because I feel like you need a balance in that. Not, not just you specifically, but tennis players in general, whether they're more analytical or more just, I'm going to feel it out there. It's good to have that other perspective to kind of rein you yeah. in. And you might get mm -hmm. carried away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely struggle getting your analytical mind out of the way. Um, I find that when I don't listen to my mind and all my thoughts out there so much, like the deepest, truest part of me like comes out and that's when I can really be my best self out on the court. But yeah, there's like a million thoughts going out there and then, those entangled with the emotions you're feeling. It's just, it's, it's pretty cool um, to try and I guess overcome that. And, but it's definitely difficult. Yeah. So. Lauren, this is uh this has been a blast. I do want to ask you going forward, what types of goals you have um, for the year, the events and the schedule coming up, we're approaching the clay court season. We're in the clay court season, the abbreviated grass season. And Still some opportunities to make a move. I know the rankings are a little weird right now, but what goals do you have and uh, what's your plan going forward for 2021 and beyond? Yeah, so I head to Europe next week and I'm, I'm really, really excited. Um, had a good start in Charleston, got a couple of good wins under my belt and um, I'm feeling confident like um, in the way that I'm playing and, and on the, I've never felt so confident playing on clay than I do now. So I'm really excited to tackle it head on. Um, I would love to make the quarters of a slam or even better. Um, and I would love to be top 30 by the end of the year. So that's definitely what I'm going to, what I'm going to shoot for new heights. <laughs> that's a realistic goal for sure. Uh, Lauren Davis, pleasure talking to you on tennis channel inside in. I do have one last thing. Uh, next time you're in Ohio, if you're training at a club, maybe like Kirtland, for example, if, yeah, if, there's, if there is, uh, you know, a several old gentlemen, you know, playing tennis next to you, you might be able to say hello to my father. That's all I'm saying. Because oh, he had a story of awesome. back in uh, December, yeah. was, I think it was. So the old, oh, okay, the old yeah. 60 plus year old uh, rec league game trying to be like, okay. I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of Lauren Davis. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Tell him to say hi to me. I would love that. I do hit at Curlin sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah, good old Cleveland. <laughs> well, seriously, though, uh, Lauren, this was a blast. And uh, I know just speaking from myself and my perspective, there's a lot of people in that area that are rooting for you. There's not that many pro tennis players that come out of that region of the country. So you have a lot of support there. So I just uh, wish you the best and uh, keep it up. And uh, you have a lot of people rooting for you. Yeah, it means a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. A huge thanks to Lauren Davis for appearing on this week's show. Make sure you follow her on our social media challenges for fun content. And I sincerely wish her the best. And she goes forward representing America, Cleveland, Ohio. 
and uh, just positive people in tennis. Big thanks again to Lauren Davis as she looks to get off the ground on her clay court season coming up here. That's it for Tennis Channel Inside In. I am Mitch Michaels. Thank you again for listening. We're on the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast. It can also be found, this podcast can be found on all your devices and platforms. There'll be another episode next week with more access to the players, coaches, analysts, and legends that make the sport what it is. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.